Hi guys, welcome back to Abracadabra. This week's case is about Timothy Evans. On November 20th, 1924, Timothy John Evans was born in Wales. He had an older sister named Aline and a younger half-sister named Maureen. Before Timothy was born, his father Daniel had abandoned the family. In 1933, Timothy's mother remarried to a man named Probert. Timothy would have uncontrollable tantrums as a child and failed to get along with his mother, and because of this, he was sent to live with his grandmother. As a child, Timothy had difficulty learning to speak, and school was hard for him. When Timothy was eight, he developed a rash with palpable nodules on his right foot, causing Timothy to miss a large amount of school for treatments. Timothy's mother wanted the couple to move into a different apartment on the first floor, but Beryl told her that she wanted to stay right where they were. On October 10, 1948, Beryl gave birth to a daughter who they named Geraldine. After the birth of their daughter, their marriage was strained. Neighbors had witnessed the couple fight frequently. They fought verbally and physically. The couple could not quite pay their monthly bills with what little money Timothy made at his job. Allegedly, Beryl was a poor cook and a poor housekeeper. She would neglect to take care of her daughter, Geraldine, at times. In August of 1949, Beryl invited a friend, 17-year-old Lucy Encott, to stay with them because Beryl thought that her husband was offered a job to work overseas, but that turned out to be a lie. Since the couple was still having marital problems, Beryl and Lucy shared a bed and Timothy was forced to sleep on the kitchen floor. Lucy had caught Timothy's eye, causing more fights between the couple. After Timothy's mother finally kicked Lucy out of the apartment, Timothy threatened to throw Beryl out of a window. Timothy was prone to making up fantasies about himself, which he did even into adulthood. Timothy liked both football and boxing. Timothy's mother and stepfather moved to London in 1935, thus sending him back even further with his learning. As an adult, Timothy had an IQ of around 70. He grew up to be 5 foot 5 inches tall and weighing under 140 pounds. Timothy had a drinking problem and had violent outbursts. He could read small passages from comics, football reports in the newspaper, and his wages and receipts, but he needed someone to read long documents for him. Soon after, Beryl found out she was pregnant with their second child, and she blamed Timothy. Beryl came to the decision that she wanted to have an abortion and told everyone she was seeking to get one. This was when abortion was illegal at the time. Timothy worked as a painter and a decorator while also going to school. In 1937, Timothy returned to Wales to work in the coal mines until he resigned due to continuing issues with his foot. In 1937, Timothy came back to London to live with his mother. In 1946, Timothy and his mother moved to St. Mark's Road in Notting Hill, London. In January of 1947, Timothy met Beryl Susanna Thorley through a mutual friend who set them up on a blind date in January 1947. Within weeks after meeting, the two were engaged, and on September 24, 1947, they were married. The couple lived with Timothy's mother for a while on St. Mark's Road and Beryl became close with Timothy's sisters. Timothy's mother and sisters tried their best to help Beryl any way that she could while she was living with them. In 1948, Beryl found out she was pregnant. 
Timothy's family could not accommodate for an extra person with them, so Elaine helped her brother and sister-in-law purchase and furnish their new apartment on the top floor of 10 Rollington Place. Timothy then left and followed Lucy into another apartment. Sometime later, Timothy moved back in with Beryl, apparently after Lucy saw how violent Timothy's temper was. Beryl had tried an abortion attempt by taking pills and using douches, but it failed. Timothy was reluctant of his wife getting an abortion, but after some convincing from his wife, he agreed. On November 8th, Timothy told everyone that Beryl and Geraldine went on vacation to visit Beryl's father. Several weeks later, on November 30th, 1949, Timothy's mother went to the couple's apartment after the couple's strange disappearance. When she entered the apartment, all the furniture was gone. Her mother then finds out through her sister that Timothy had been staying with her in Wales and was waiting for Beryl, who now his mother realized had never left to visit her father. His mother then tells his aunt that Beryl and Geraldine are missing and the apartment is empty. Growing up in Yorkshire, his father would hit his kids whenever he felt like it and would make them take long walks in marching style. His mother was overprotective and his sisters dominated him. He was also known to fake sick, so he was a hypochondriac and he uses his ploy to get attention. John enlisted as a signalman in World War I but was hospitalized after a mustard gas attack and he claimed that it blinded him, but there was no record that he was blinded by mustard gas. In May 10, 1920, Reginald married 22-year-old Ethel Waddington. Over the next 10 years, he was arrested for petty crimes. He spent three months in jail on April 12, 1921, at the age of 25, for stealing postal orders while working for a postman. In school, he excelled in algebra and was skilled in detailed work. It was later found out that his IQ was 128. Before leaving school in 1913 at the age of 15, he became an assistant movie projectionist. By the time John reached puberty, he associated sex with death, dominance, and violent aggression, making him incapable and less in complete control. He spent nine months in Eukesford Jail, September 1924, for theft. John left his wife and went to London, where he was doing six months hard labor for assaulting a prostitute who he was living with in Battersea in May 1929. He spent another three months imprisonment in 1933 for stealing a car from a priest who befriended him. John signed up as a volunteer member of the Reservoir Police. He became the special constable for a Harrow Road police station, and he was there for four years. In 1933, he and his wife reconciled their marriage. When Ethel and her brother arrived, he acted like everything was normal. The next day, her brother left, and she went back to work. As he was digging, his wife came home, and they had tea together. When she went to bed, he finished digging the hole. He then placed her body in the hole along with her clothes and covered it up and went to bed. On October of 1944, John promised a work colleague named Muriel Eddy. On October of 1944, John promised a work colleague named Muriel Eddy a special concoction to cure her bronchitis. He, he used domestic gas containing carbon monoxide to knock her unconscious, for he choked her to death and then raped her corpse, then buried her in the communal garden. He 
people who knew John and Ethel believed that she was scared of her husband and did whatever he said. The couple maintained their privacy at 10 Rollington Place because the couple thought that they were better than their neighbors. Timothy stated that he confessed to protect himself from John. He said that John had offered to help Beryl with the abortion, but warned that the concoction that will be used is dangerous and could kill her. She wanted to try it anyway, so on November 8th, she left to meet John. When Timothy came home, he found his wife dead on the floor and was bleeding from every orifice. Timothy tended to his daughter while John moved Beryl's body. John returned, telling Timothy that he put Beryl's body in Mr. Kitchener's apartment on the second floor. Mr. Kitchener's apartment was empty because he was taken to the hospital and he would be gone for five weeks. John said that he would dump Beryl's body down the drain when it was dark. He then told Timothy that he knew a couple that would take Geraldine for a while. So Timothy gave all of Geraldine's things to John. On Thursday, when Timothy came home, Geraldine was gone and John told him everything had been taken care of. He then told Timothy to sell all of his furniture and leave. He still continued to seek out prostitutes to relieve his violent sexual urges as he had been doing since he was 19. In December of 1938, they moved into the ground floor apartment of 10 Rollington Place, where they would have lived for 10 years by the time Timothy and Beryl moved in. In August of 1943, when John was in the police reservoir force and his wife was making frequent trips to visit family, he met a 21-year-old Austrian girl named Ruth Burst. She was described as tall and full of life. She had brown hair and brown eyes. There is some evidence that she sometimes earned money prostituting herself. She would visit John in his house when his wife was out. One day while she was over, he received a telegram that said that his wife was coming home with her brother. John then strangled her while having sex, and then he wrapped her up in a leopard coat and hid her body under the floorboards in the front room with the rest of the clothes. If they did, they would have found bones from some of John's other victims. Police found in Timothy's mostly empty apartment by a window newspaper clippings of the Stanley Steady case, that was a torso murder, and a stolen briefcase. Police never saw the thigh bone that was holding up his fence or the human skull that John's dog dug up while the police were still there and that John noticed first and threw over the fence to the bombed out house next door. Saw this as damning evidence and took the briefcase and Timothy back to London to question him further. John Christie was also brought back for a six hour long interview. John told authorities that the accusations against him were ridiculous, that Timothy was a known liar. John also told police about how violent Timothy and Beryl's marriage was. The police soon treated John like he was one of their own. Another police officer also questioned Ethel, but she had already been coached by her husband John on what to tell the police. Since Beryl and Geraldine's bodies had still not been located, the police wanted to search the house again, and they also wanted to search the watch house. When they got there, they tried to open the door, but it was stuck. Once the police were able to get the door loose with the piece of metal Ethel had given them, they went inside. 
the washroom was light enough for the police to notice wood against the sink. Once an officer moved it, they found a box wrapped in a green tablecloth with a rope tying it together. Dr. Donald Tier came to examine the bodies of both Beryl and Geraldine and then took them back to Kingston Mortuary to perform an autopsy. The autopsy confirmed Beryl and Geraldine had been deceased for about three weeks. Beryl had been strangled and had bruising on her right eye, lip, and the inside of her vagina. Despite the vaginal bruising, no vaginal swab was taken. Beryl was three months pregnant, and there was no evidence that she had taken anything to end her pregnancy. The clothing from Beryl and Geraldine's bodies were then taken to John Christie to identify. John identified the skirt and the blouse as Beryl's, but didn't know who the tie belonged to. He then said he thinks that he had seen Timothy wearing the tie. Once Timothy was brought back to London from Wales, he was taken to the police station. Police told Timothy that his wife and daughter were found, and then police showed Timothy his wife's blouse and skirt along with the tie, and he cried. Timothy gave two more confessions to police that night. When the officers unwrapped it, a pair of feet fell out. It was Beryl Evans' decaying body. The police didn't have to search very long to locate baby Geraldine's body underneath wood by the door. They had both been strangled to death. The tie that was used to strangle Geraldine was still wrapped around her neck. The first confession that he had given to police was that he killed his wife because Beryl was putting them further in debt. Timothy said that he and Beryl had gotten in a fight, and then he hit her. After strangling Beryl with a rope, he wrapped her up in a tablecloth and then took her to the downstairs apartment. At midnight, on November 8th, he moved her body to the wash house. The next morning, he put his daughter Geraldine and then left her alone all day, and he proceeded to do this for the next few days. Then, after quitting his job, he came home and strangled his daughter with his tie and then put her body in the wash house. Timothy stated to police that he hit Beryl in the face, and in a fit of rage, he strangled her. He put Beryl's body in the wash house and covered her body with wood. Timothy then gave an even longer confession, which took one hour and 25 minutes to record and then read back what he said. There were a couple of inconsistencies with his statements. He stated twice that he locked the wash house door, which was not true because there were carpenters that were working on the wash house and they would have had to ask for the key. Another inconsistency was he said that the rope he strangled Beryl with was still around her neck when there wasn't. Timothy had never given an explanation about why he killed Geraldine. On January 11, 1950, Timothy went to trial for the murder of Geraldine Evans. His mother came to visit him after his arraignment, where he told her that he didn't kill his wife and that John did. But while in prison, he told Dr. Matherson that he did murder his wife and that it was a huge weight lifted off of his shoulders to confess. Police took a statement from Ethel Christie where she stated that she had been in the wash house every day to get water, but she never said she smelled anything. But in court, she lied. Her story changed. She lied to the judge saying that she had never used the wash house. John said at 7.30 in the morning, on November 14th, he did notice the wood by the sink and had no idea who put them there. But at 10 in the morning that day, 
John got the wood from one of the carpenters who was pulling up the flooring. This was the same wood that was found against the sink. The carpenters left on November 11th, so Timothy couldn't have hidden his wife and daughter's bodies in the wash house without them being spotted. Malcolm Morris, who was the barrister, visited Timothy in prison several times. Timothy told him that he only confessed to the murder because he believed that police would beat him up if he didn't. Timothy tried again, stating that John had killed his wife, but then Timothy changed his story again, saying that he murdered his wife. The prosecution presented his case as that Timothy and his wife were having difficulties, and he became depressed after he lost his job. He killed his wife and daughter and lied to family and friends about their whereabouts. Timothy made multiple confessions, but the last one was the truth. Dr. Tier and John were called to testify, but the carpenters were never called in because the defense knew nothing about them. When John took the stand, he was very sharp and clear in his testimony. He was very detailed in his answers. At times when he spoke, he was very hard to hear, but he made sure to tell the judge and jury about his service in the war and his many ailments. Malcolm Morris had brought up John's past criminal history to show the jury that he was not as he seemed, but it had the opposite effect. Timothy's presence on the stand was completely different from John's. And when Timothy took the stand, he looked guilt-ridden, and since he was a known liar, his testimony was not believed. Timothy told the court that he didn't know his daughter was dead until police showed him her clothes at the station. He said this, along with the fear of the police beating him up, made him make a false confession. Timothy stated that he tried to protect John, but he couldn't adequately say why. The next morning, the judge told the jury that the charges against Timothy were about Geraldine only. The judge made it clear that he didn't believe Timothy. He also made it a point to bring up that John, despite his criminal past, he turned his life around and that Timothy was a known liar. The judge gave the jury two options. The first was that Dr. Tier was lying about the autopsy reports, and the second was that Timothy was lying. It took the jury only 40 minutes to determine Timothy's fate. He was found guilty and was sentenced to death by hanging. John cried in the courtroom, and as they were leaving, Timothy's mother screamed at John outside the courtroom that he was a murderer. Ethel Christie defended her husband, saying that he was a good man. Timothy tried once more for an appeal, but he was denied. He was sent to the gallows on March 9, 1950. Three years after the trial, John vacated his apartment at 10 Rollington Place. Now with an empty apartment, the landlord had allowed an upstairs tenant named Bercy Ford Brown to use John's kitchen. Bercy Ford noticed a foul smell and started cleaning the kitchen. Bercy Ford then had an idea to hang up a shelf for his radio, so he proceeded to knock on the walls until he found a hollow spot, and he finally found one. He then pulled back the wallpapering and found a door behind it. The door was locked, and Bercy Ford was curious what was behind it, so he shone a flashlight through the crack of the door. He fell back in shock, and he immediately contacted authorities. Inside the room, police found the bodies of three women, Kathleen Maloney, Rita Nelson, and Hectorina McLennan. The police did a further search inside and outside the house and found three more bodies. John's wife, Ethel Christie, who he put under the floorboards in the front room, Ruth First, who was an Austrian nurse, and Mariel Eddy, 
who was a former co-worker of John's. Both Ruth and Muriel's body were found in the small garden on the right-hand side. John was found and arrested on March 31, 1953, near an embankment on Putney Bridge. During police interrogation, John made four different confessions to killing Beryl Evans, but he always denied that he killed Geraldine Evans. John Reginald Christie was found guilty of murdering his wife and was hanged on July 15, 1953, by Albert Perry Point. This was the same man who had hung Timothy Evans three years prior. And there you have the facts. Thank you so much for giving this case a moment of